I'm apparently the only one who did not get the memo on the red, which is maybe why nobody sat next to me over here. Did you notice that? I was sitting like all by myself over here. They're like, no, we're not going to sit next to her. I actually don't look good in red. (laughs) But I'm used to not being chosen, you know. Um, I was one of those kids in elementary school who always got picked last. Anybody ever get picked last? Yeah, you know, it's, it's that wonderful practice of lining all of these completely insecure children up and choosing two, two team captains who are always the cool kids, and one by one, they destroy your self-esteem. And I was always the one picked last. And I, I never really totally understood why. Um, I didn't smell bad. I showered. Uh, And I wore clean clothing, maybe not the coolest clothing. Um, But there were a couple of things. One, my parents didn't let us watch television, and so I kind of always felt uh, like I didn't know what anyone was talking about. And then there was the issue of my lazy eye. Um, So you guys ever know somebody with a lazy eye? There's two ways that an eye can be lazy. One is we call it going in, and so it's where the eyes point toward the nose. You know, you've seen people cross-eyed, right? Your parents tell you don't do that or they'll stay that way, right? Anybody tell them that? Um, And then they can go out. And mine did both. (laughs) So I remember being on the bus. I was probably in first grade. We'd just gotten over some railroad tracks. And this kid sitting right over here just socked me in the arm. And I looked over at him. I'm like, what was that all about? And he said, quit staring at me. And I totally didn't know that I was. (laughs) I was looking straight ahead with this eye, and that one was just pointed right at him. So my lazy eye, thankfully, my parents got surgery for me. I've had three of them, so I won't look at you cross-eyed today, I hope. Um, And I moved on in life. Things got better when I went to a small Christian high school. It was so small that you had to pick everyone to be on a team, or you wouldn't have a team. So that kind of got worked out, and... Things got a little better, and but a lot of my life, I have this theory that when you're picked last in elementary school, whether that's on the team or in other ways, that I've spent a lot of life trying to just be first at something, you know, just to try and prove them wrong, them being all of those people that I felt like thought I was nothing. And so what I want to talk with you about this morning is just kind of how that's played out in my own story. It's something I call the numbers game. But before we get into my story, just I want to make sure you're awake and like not texting people. So um, just call out to me some of the numbers that we use to establish value. You know, we attach value to some of these numbers. Just call them out. Not the actual number, the type of number. GPA. Very good. GPA. Okay. We don't want to know your personal numbers. Okay. (laughs) Another number. So grades, right? Another number. ID? Your weight, yeah. Height, okay, very good. What about Facebook friends, anybody? Facebook friends, Twitter friends? Mine, you can see, is listed right there, slash Constance Rhodes, okay, in case you need to know that. Facebook friends, Twitter friends. Money? Money, yes. How, how about this one? How about this one? How many people we are Jesus to each day? Doesn't come up first, right? We'll come back to that. I'm actually going to write it on the board. Draw a little cross. I'm also going to draw, and I'm a horrible drawer, so forgive me. 
Can you tell it's an eyeball? <laughs> Hopefully not too creepy. What about muscles? Anybody obsessed with working out around here? You want to build your little, like your, your two-pack, your six-pack, your eight-pack? Yeah? And you never really know, you never really know, you know, who is really on that whole train, right? Because I know something that you don't know about somebody in this crowd. We can show him. I'm going to get my water while you're laughing because I forgot about it. Okay. There's usually like two waves of laughter with something like this. Now you know how he got such a hot wife, right? It is totally not being the chaplain that does that for you. Just any of you on the chaplain track, it is not what gets the chicks. It's, yeah. (laughs) So, seriously though, um, The whole body thing is definitely where my whole numbers game came into play. I'd always been thin growing up. When I was 16, I graduated from my little high school. Doesn't mean I was extra smart. It was just a little high school. And I moved from Brighton, Michigan to Dallas, Texas to go to Christ for the Nations, which is a relatively small Bible college. And I was excited about it for two reasons. Number one, nobody would know I wasn't cool. Because this was before the days of Facebook, so your reputation did not follow you. Like, this was a clean start, and I was very excited because I was going to be awesome now. Okay, so that was number one. Number two was I was a singer, and I was excited to go to this school because they had a great music program, and I was going to audition for their little singing group, Living Praise, and I was sure, of course, that I would make it because I was quite awesome already, as you already know. So I get to campus. I'm really excited. Everything's going great. I have my audition for the group. Everything goes fine, and then they turn me down. And they actually turned me down because I was only 16, which is so unfair because it wasn't even about the voice. But making things worse, that sort of flagged the administrative staff who, for some weird reason, didn't realize what age I'd put on my college application. And so they hauled me in, and they were threatening to send me home, and they decided to let me stay, but they put all of these rules on me that really significantly hindered my social life especially my ability to hang out with boys, which at that time in my life were the only people that I thought worthy of hanging out with, frankly, because <laughs> girls are weird. So, <laughs> I am one, I can say it. So, totally can't hang out with guys anymore, totally don't know how to hang out with girls. I begin to feel really lonely. And then I met this guy named Alan. And within just three early morning prayer sessions, I knew that Alan was the one. Anybody? And even better, Alan said that I was the one for him. Such an important number. I'm going to write it down on the board. We're going to come back to it later. Super exciting that I was the one for him until he dropped out a month later. He also had another girlfriend, which I never quite understood, but... So Alan leaves school. I feel like I have no friends. If you had to put a number to what I felt about myself at that time, I would use the number zero. Anybody ever feel like that? You can sit in a crowd of people and feel like nobody knows who you are, nobody knows your story, and if they did, they wouldn't care. That's how I felt. 
And I was young, did I mention that? So I totally did not know what to do with that feeling. And I did what a lot of people do when we have feelings inside that we don't know what to do with. I tried to stuff that feeling, and I tried to stuff that feeling with food, because, like, what else can a Christian do? (laughs) Except eat. (laughs) Right? It's the only acceptable vice. So, and at college, what do you have a lot of to eat? Pizza. Yes. So I had a lot of pizza. I had a lot of things. And within just a couple months of having gone to college, I had suddenly gained the freshman 15, which no one had warned me about. Yes, pre-internet. Did not know that it was coming. So I freaked out because I had to go home for Christmas in just a few weeks. You know, I felt like a huge failure, even a huger failure. In retrospect, I wasn't huge, but that's how I felt. And so I threw myself on the first diet I could find, which was a grapefruit diet. Anybody? Grapefruit diet? Anybody. Anybody brave enough to admit? Or are you not stupid enough to do it? I was stupid enough to do it. And so after just like three days of eating nothing but citrus, your insides are totally on fire. And guess what you really want? A hamburger. A cheeseburger. A really big one. And so I binged, you know, after that. And then I found myself very afraid because, oh no, I've gained back everything I lost in those three days. And so then I tried to starve myself for a few days. And then I got hungry. (laughs) So then I ate something and then I binged again. And before I knew it, I was on this roller coaster of binging and then starving to make up for the binge and then binging again. And my weight just continued to just get higher and higher and higher than that original. uh, Whose phone? Are you on faculty? I'm sorry, that was incredibly disrespectful. Um, Me, not the phone. Um, Anyway. That original 15 pounds turned into 20, 25, 30, and I knew these numbers because I had a very good friend who helped me keep track. You can see that she's a little beat up because I have this habit of dropping her. Yeah, it's really awful. I really shouldn't do that. But it's not really a she or a he. It's an it, isn't it? It's an it. It's an it. Most of you guys can probably relate to this picture on the screen. So here's the funny thing about it. Like, most of us don't actually love getting on the scale. There's not usually a number that we feel awesome and completely done about. And yet we spend $2.2 billion in this country on scales each year, which is a huge number, but actually a very small number compared to what we spend on diets. We spend in this country $62 billion a year on diets, which I know we're not at MIT, so I'm going to break that down for you, okay? So (laughs) that was a totally cheap shot, but I'm not a mathematician either, so... This is for the people like me. About one out of two adult Americans are on a diet on any given day. So based on U.S. census statistics from this past Tuesday, that means there's about 108 million people on diets. Okay, so if you divide 62 billion by 108 million, you come up with some easier-to-manage numbers. So, so people are spending about $574 a year, or $48 a month, or $1.59 a day on diets. We're going to write that number down. We're going to come back to all of these. And yes, I know the time limit, so no worries. So 
So the weird thing is we're putting all this money into diets and diet pills and diet programs and all this kind of stuff. But the problem, and I know that we all know this because we all watch television, um, obesity and overweight, these problems are only increasing. In fact, nearly three out of four people struggle in some way with being overweight, and 30% of our country is obese. And medical costs associated with that are going to be around $147 billion this year. So there's a, there's a big problem. In fact, there's a philosopher, Matthew um, Kelly, who wrote a book called The Rhythm of Life, and he said, a third of the world is dying from lack of bread, a third of the world is dying from lack of justice, and a third of the world is dying from overeating, which is really some crazy numbers. And I've struggled on both sides of that, the overweight and the underweight side, And I've learned that, you know, you can take information like that and it won't change you. What we need is not more information. We need transformation, really, to get healthy, to be stewards. I love your term steward, Corey, being stewards of our health. We need transformation. So the good news is that as Christians, we know the source of our transformation, don't we? But where we sometimes go wrong is when we get trapped in this numbers game. Because while the Bible is full of numbers, and even has a book called Numbers, like nowhere in there do we see Jesus' BMI, right? Not going to find it in there. But that doesn't mean that we can't look to him for some model of how we are to live and how we are to approach our health. And so I talked to my friend Travis Stewart. He's a therapist who works with eating disorders. And he loves to study a topic called theology of the body, where you really look at what scripture says about the body and how we can apply it. And there's tons of amazing stuff that he has to say. But about Jesus's health, he said this. He said, we can surmise a certain level of health because of his lifestyle. He worked with his hands. He walked everywhere he went and ate a variety of foods. And he seemed to do so in moderation because he warned against gluttony as well as against rigidity. As a Jew, he would have followed the Sabbath and rested one day a week. He was concerned about physical health as evidenced by healing those who were sick. He taught that we are to love God with mind, spirit, soul, and strength, so our physical body. And then he said this. This is part that really jumped out at me. We can likely make the assumption that his physical health was very good in light of his ability to survive the amount of torture he went through and yet remain aware and awake until the very end. A weak, unhealthy person would not have been able to do that. And so when we just think about things like that, and I, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, if Jesus were alive today, what would Jesus eat? <laughs> you know, there's probably a book out there with that title. <laughs> and if I imagine him today, like let's say he was right here at ENC on campus, I can't see Jesus, you know, hiding out in his room, binging because he's lonely, right? And just can't envision that. I also can't see him obsessed in the gym like Corey. I just don't think that he would do that, you know, walking in front of the mirror and just being like, hey, check me out. Like, I don't see that happening. I think he'd eat a variety of foods, all things in moderation, and he'd sit and have a meal with you because that's one of the best places for us to have relationship, right? And so the verse that we use at Finding Balance that's uh, sort of foundational to this concept is 1 Corinthians 6.12, which says, For me, all things are lawful, but I will not be enslaved by anything. In my own story, I was a slave 
You know, I went through a few years of the binging and my weight just getting higher and higher and higher than was natural for me. And we all have a different set point. It's important to be aware of. But even when I got a grip on the dieting, which I'll share more about uh, this afternoon, I got a grip on it. The weight came down to that magic number. Everyone has like a magic number, the girls do. In their mind, like life begins at this particular number, then everything will be awesome. And I got to the magic number, and everything still wasn't awesome. (laughs) I still felt like a zero on the inside. There shouldn't have been a reason for that. I'd gotten married by this time. I was working at Sparrow Records with awesome artists like Switchfoot and Delirious and Newsboys, and just great stuff was going on. And I was the weight I thought I wanted to be, though that number kept moving around a little on me. But I still, still felt empty on the inside. And I want to read to you just a snippet from my book, Life Inside the Thin Cage. I brought six copies today. I had really high hopes of selling six. (laughs) Um, I really didn't want to put it in my luggage, frankly. All right, so... It says, let me tell you about my life inside the thin cage. It is a dark place with little food, little social interaction, and little freedom. Everything is off limits. Everything is based on performance. If I don't perform well or look good, then I am not good. I am not allowed to enjoy a piece of cake or a slice of pizza because if I do, tomorrow I will wake up fat. Since everything is about performance and appearance, a bad hair day can truly ruin me. Still can If my performance ever slips, I'm suddenly in the precarious position of losing my value to the world. Going anywhere and meeting anyone requires that I look my best because people might not like me if they don't think that I'm attractive. I have a hard time sleeping at night, and more than anything, I'm alone. You see, my issue with food wasn't about food. The issue was I didn't feel like I mattered. I felt like a zero. And that was something that had started way, way, way before my issues with food. You know, it was that kid on the bus. It was my parents getting divorced, my mom never showing up for visits, my sister never liking me, you know, just constantly through life. Aren't we all rejected? We all experience that because we're all with broken people. And so as we try to come to a place of being better stewards with our health, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, relationally, We've got to recognize that there is no external number that is ever going to resolve the internal desire we have to matter and to be important, to have value. And what's more, there's really only one number that God really cares about. I'm going to show you a picture of my daughter, Sophia. She's five. (laughs) I love this picture. Um... Because she totally thinks she looks hot. <laughs> I just think that's so awesome. She's five, and when she was born, I was like, oh, I have a girl. I so don't want her to have an eating disorder. And I started holding her up to the mirror, like, before she could even hold her head up. And I'd be like, you're beautiful. You're going to be so beautiful. Don't ever worry about eating. And um, she, of course, had no idea what I was saying. But as she's gotten older, I've had more and more ways of indoctrinating and brainwashing my child so that she will never have to struggle with this. And so one of the little games that we play is I'll touch various parts of her body, you know, and my favorite is her bottom. I just love it. It's so squishy and chunky. And I'll be like, I love your bottom. And I'll squeeze it and she'll giggle and laugh. And, and she, she loves her bottom. 
she does. And then I'll rub her belly, and I'll, I'll be like, oh, you're, you're going to have a baby in there one day. I love your belly. And she'll giggle, and she'll stick it out, which actually she can stick it out quite far enough to look like she has a baby in it. And she giggles and laughs, and I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful. And I'll go through different parts of her body. Your arms are so strong, and your, your legs, you can walk. And I love your smile with all your teeth, and we'll do all of this. We've been doing this for five and a half years now. And, and then I will say to her, do you know why I love you? And in the beginning, she used to say, you like my bottom? And I'd be like, yeah, I do. I'd be like, but that's not it. I love you because there is only one you. I wrote this one on the board. There is only one you. And if anything were to happen to you, it doesn't matter how much money I have. Or if I somehow tap into cloning technology, there will never be another you. There is only one you, and that is what makes you special. And I would say the same thing to each one of you with the sparkly scarf, pretending I'm not looking at you because you don't want everyone to look at you right now. This girl right here. There's only one you. (laughs) Only one you, just like you. And there's only one you with the dark hair. Yeah, Yeah, you right there. Yep. Then there's only one you, guy with the... Maroon shirt. There's only one of each of you. One. And it doesn't matter what you weigh or how many Facebook friends you have or how you do on your your grades. There's only one you. That's what makes you special. Secondly, there's only one God who created the only one you. Just one God. And he decided before the beginning of time that for whatever weird reason he had, he wanted you. (laughs) And I'm glad because I'm weird and he wanted me. But he wanted you. And that is what gives us our value. It's not what everybody else says. Like, that's nice if they like us. But he's the one who gives us our value. And we are here for only one purpose. And that is to know him and to make him known to a world that is, frankly, lost and dying. And playing the numbers game in many different ways every day. Longing for someone to tell them that they are more than a number. Well, I asked you at the top, you know, do we really think about the number of people that we impact for Jesus. So I have a startling number for you. I hope it's startling. It's startling to me. Researcher George Barnes says that the typical Christian will die without leading one person to the life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The typical Christian will die without doing that. And I can totally understand how this can happen. I'm in Christian ministry. I have been for 10 years. But I am in a bubble. My world is very different than yours. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, where everybody is a Christian. Period. Everyone. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know the same Jesus I do. (laughs) But we all go to church. My kids go to a Christian school. I run Finding Balance from my home office, which means I'm by myself, no coworkers. And when I speak, I typically speak to people like you, who for the most part have some understanding of who Jesus is. And so if I am ever going to have a meaningful conversation with someone who is not a Christian, it is most likely going to take place on an airplane. And I hate talking to people on airplanes. I do. I'm one of those people who gets my book and sort of sends the vibe like, don't, don't, just don't. (laughs) When you're older, you will too, okay? I know when you're younger, like, oh, I want to meet somebody new. No, you're older, you're just like, this is a break from children. I'm going to read my book. So, The number of people that I have led to Jesus on an airplane is a big fat zero. I am not saying that that is cool with God. I am personally convicted that I need to reach out more. But I also am aware that there are many places to be Jesus to people 
And that there's all these different things. You know, some people till the soil, some people plant the seeds, some people water the seeds, some people nourish that plant as it grows. And we all have a role to play, and we all have different times that we can do that. And so one of the ways that my family has chosen to do that is through sponsoring children through Compassion International. I first got into this whole connection because I learned, you know, the $62 billion number that I told you about. $62 billion that we spend on diets would literally wipe out worldwide hunger. Seriously. Take the money from here. Diets don't work. Put it here. People are fed. End of problem. And I found that really compelling. And I signed up with a one... Um, agency, which was a great agency, but I really wanted the Jesus piece, and I discovered that Compassion International is the only one that really focuses on the Jesus piece. In fact, their tagline is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, and they've had marketing people tell them that they should strip that part out because they might be able to get into more countries or it would be cooler, (laughs) and they refuse to strip it out, partially, probably in large part, because the way they do their work is through the local church. It's not like the rich Americans come save the people in the poor countries. That's not the way it works. It's people all over America and other places fund compassion, and compassion infuses those dollars into that local church, that local culture, so that it's being impacted right there on a local basis. Well, about three weeks ago, I got to go to Kenya with Compassion International. I want to show you a picture of the kids there. It was the Maasai tribe. I mean, oh, it's just an amazing people group. And we were there to shoot a video, a music video for a song I'm actually going to close with today. And I don't have the music video done yet, sorry. But um, while we were there, one of the things that they wanted us to learn about was their child survival program. Because what they do, and we can show the next slide, is they reach out, in addition to reaching out to children, they reach out to the mothers of those children, helping them learn basic things about how to take care of their children, and, um, but also helping them grow spiritually. And so we sat down in this big church building, and they handed us each a folder, and each folder was a report on one of the mothers in uh, this program. And so the report that I was holding was for a woman named Irene. And I was just kind of flipping through it, and I came to this section that said, um, spiritual monitoring forms. I was like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And so I was just flipping through, and I saw that they were being asked this question. And this, she started in January of 2010. It said, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? And this mother said, no. And it said, if not, why? And she said, she will one of these fine days. (laughs) That was her answer. One of these fine days. Well, these workers would continue meeting with these mothers. They meet with them every single month. And so a year and a half later, so 18 pages later in the report, Um, on June 19th, 2011, they asked her again. And she said no. And they asked, well, what support do you need to become a Christian? And she said, I need to go to church so that I can get saved. Sounds like progress, right? Twelve pages, twelve months later, on August 15th, she again says she's not a Christian. When asked what support she needs, she says, I need to go to church, but my family traditions do not allow me. It took like two years to learn that piece of information that was probably really very helpful. So I keep flipping six more pages, six months later, two years and 24 visits after the first one, I found this statement on her form, confesses Jesus as her Savior. And I teared up and I took a picture of it. I think we have, we can show you that. And I realized this organization 
which I'm so proud to partner with, they are interested in poverty, but not just poverty of the body, but poverty of the soul. And each one of us has an opportunity to help release children and families and villages from poverty as well. Which brings me to this $1.59 number. So $1.59, again, the average amount being spent per day on diet-related products. That could be Diet Coke, Diet Pills, sports nutrition stuff, you know, that stuff Cora uses, hides in his cupboard, get buff. Diet-related products, $1.59 a day. You know what it takes to sponsor a child? Less. It takes $1.26 a day. To release a child from poverty, not just poverty of their, their body, their surroundings, but poverty of their soul. And so today, you're going to have an opportunity to be part of that. We have children here today in the form of packets, but these aren't packets. These are children like Edwin from Kenya. He's four, and he needs somebody to care for him. I found these two girls. These are actually sisters, which is highly unusual. Um, because usually compassion will only do one child in a family at a time, but Maria and Blanca from Ecuador. Nobody else, I, I know Eric Timms was here last year, and he probably said the same thing. Nobody else has these packets, just me. We have 50 of them today. And it is a number that I'm proud <laughs> to push, because I hope we rescue all 50, not by our own efforts, by, by investing in a bigger effort, a global effort. Which brings me to the lazy eye. All right. Here's where God is so amazingly cool. So we were going to Compassion, or I'm sorry, Kenya with Compassion a few weeks ago, and I already sponsored two children, um, but Compassion said, hey, do you want to sponsor a child in the village that we're going to because then you get to meet them? And I'm like, well, yeah, I think we can do that. And so um, they sent me a few pictures, and they had sent some you know, photos just like that to, a few, to two of us. There was another artist on the trip, and so they were like, hey, you know, would you guys want to sponsor these children? And if so, which one? And so I didn't really give much attention to it. There was one girl and two boys, and I picked the girl, <laughs> you know, girl power. And I'm like, I'll, I'll pick her. And so they processed that through, and we arrived on, at the project, and I met my girl, and we had this amazing day. Her name is Nabulu. We can show you her. I think we've got that. Nabulu, awesome, great, great, great girl. She was incredibly shy in the beginning, but by the end of it, she was all smiles. And at the end of the day, I got back on the bus with the team, and I was just talking about having met her, and I was kind of showing them my pictures. And one of the others on the team said, hey, are you going to talk to Compassion's health office about her eye? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, well, she has a lazy eye. I said, really? I totally didn't notice that. And then I was scrolling through my pictures, and I found this one. Yep. <laughs> Total lazy eye. And I was like, oh my gosh. I had a lazy eye. Not only that, but my poor son had one too. and <laughs> had to have surgery. And God's now given us this child to sponsor who has a need that I know how to help meet. And I, I can understand. He's so in the details, you guys. And so today I would ask you to consider, as I'm singing my song, you know, who would be your Nubulu? 
Who would be someone that God would be leading you to be Jesus to? And you're going to write letters to them. You may not be the one who leads them to Jesus, but you are Jesus to them. And it all comes down to one. One you choosing to release one child from poverty, but it has this amazing ripple effect that can change our world, change the story in so many ways. And so today, as Corey said, I am going to be hanging out at the table. I'm not as tall as I look, I promise. I'm actually like this tall, so don't be intimidated. Um, I'm going to be hanging out. I want to meet you, answer questions that you have. But I want to get all 50 of these guys sponsored today, and I'm asking you guys to consider doing that. And if you don't feel like you have enough to do it by yourself, buddy up with a roommate, you know, or if you have, like, chess club or something, I don't know, something like that, buddy up with that and sponsor a child and be a part of changing the story. Understand that you are more than any number and that you can help them be more than a number, too. Oh, that sounded weird, also. Um, I want to invite up the chapel team, the unnumbered chapel team, to accompany me on the song. The song is called More Than a Number, because I'm really clever with titles like that. Yeah, um, kind of goes with my talk. And it tells the story of two, two girls. One who needs to know that she's more than the number on the scale, and another who needs to know that she's more than a statistic about poverty. I'm so grateful to these guys for playing with me because I've, I never get, like, all of this help. So um, thank you very, very much. for too long In the mirror I see the problem I'm gonna show them I will be strong She gives herself away Slowly starts to fade into who she wants to Hill. 
There is a God who sees you. Lift up your eyes, your hope is coming. Cause I'm gonna change the story. for sharing some of your story with us. She'll be in the Student Center and then this afternoon, 115 in Canterbury, your next steps to greater health. Thank you for worshiping today and uh, giving her your full attention and uh, just have a great week and go in peace. You are dismissed to love God and serve others.